Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. And uh, this is talking about Isaac, of course, receiving Rebekah as his wife. And then it also mentions that he brought her to the tent of Sarah and that she was a comfort to him in his mother's passing, his mother's death. And I'll begin reading there with verse 66. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother's, or his mother Sarah's tent, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. We again know that there's no division in the original between chapters or verses or anything. It just all flows together. And so it begins chapter 25 by saying, Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bare him Zepran, and Joshan, or Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Shebak, and Shua. I want you to notice there how that chapter begins, and I want to use these first two words as my subject title then again talks about the passing of Sarah who was Abraham's wife and then it begins this chapter and I like these words it says then again and that's what I want to use tonight as a subject then again Praise God. Why don't you lift up your hands and voices with me, and let's pray together for the Lord to have his way in the remainder of our service. Jesus, we have need of you. We desire you, God, to move. We are praying, O Lord, for your will to be done. I ask, God, that you would have your way in the remainder of our service tonight. Let your word be applied to the hearts of people. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you for it. Amen and amen. Would you once again give praise to the Lord? Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It's been said that man does not always punctuate the sentences that God writes or God constructs appropriately. It's been stated that man places a period where God places a comma. We observe situations and prematurely assume that there is no future in it. There's no hope that it is, in fact, final. It's over with. It's done. Proceed no further. This is not only true concerning victories and, and the disappointments that come with our victory and 
our, our, our defeats, rather, in our lives, but it also concerns victories in our life. Maybe someone experiences a great victory and thinks this is it. This is the apex. This is as far as I can go. I've reached the limitations of what the Lord has for me. It doesn't get any better than this. Can I tell you that the most subtle lie that Satan tells saints is is that it doesn't get any better than this. That you've reached the crescendo. That you've reached the apex. That this is it. This is all that God has for you. You've done as much as you're going to do for God. Or that your best days as a saint of God are behind you. And the spirit of settling is the most dangerous of all spirits and forces that we fight against in our walk with God. Satan wants to cause each one of us to sell ourselves short regarding the promises of God. And I suppose that unrealized potential is the saddest plight for any Pentecostal saint of God is for there have to have been more opportunity for there to have been greater things in store, greater promises to be fulfilled, greater areas that God wanted to use an individual and a person, and us not to realize those things, us not to ever be able to really achieve those things. No matter what you've achieved in the past, no matter what you've been historically in your relationship with God, no matter how many victories... No matter how many instances where God has used you and battles you've won and blessings that you've received, if a saint of God can be convinced to settle somewhere along the journey, that's a very tragic thing to happen in a person's life. However, we see this illustrated in the scripture several times. We See, in the Word of God, many people that we could talk about tonight, one of them that comes to mind is uh, that man that stands so tall in the book of Genesis by the name of Noah. Noah is described to have lived in a very decadent day. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's really quite a description uh, given to these people that lived in that age that the only thoughts they had, the only things that they devised or dreamed about or imagined was only on evil continually. And it was so much so that the next verse says, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I, I like that verse of scripture. It's describing all of these terrible times that in a terrible age that men in that particular portion of the Word of God had fallen into. 
It's describing decadence and immorality and riotousness and evil and wickedness that's beyond the comprehension of you and I. Sometimes I think we make the mistake of thinking that the day we're living in was the only evil age that there's ever been. But history proves us wrong because throughout history there has been periods of time where men lived in very evil and wicked conditions. But emerging from above that crowd of evil people whose minds and thoughts were on evil continually, the Bible says this. It says that there was a man, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was someone among all of the dismal things that were happening in this world, among all of the decadence and immorality and wickedness that was happening in this earth, there was someone that caught his attention. There was someone that captured his thoughts. And there was someone that he began to zero in on. And it was a man by the name of Noah that said, regardless of what the world is doing, in the direction that the world is going in, I'm going to live righteously. I am going to live godly. I'm going to live according to the word of the Lord. I am going to do the will of God in my life. Can I tell you that that's a very important passage of Scripture to encourage you and I that no matter how worldly this world becomes, how sinful how ungodly, how wicked it becomes. I believe that there's people that can still stand up as Noah did and live righteously and live godly and live holy lives before the Lord. And it's important that we do so. I said it's important that somebody stand up and be the light. It's important that somebody stand up and be righteous in this hour and show this world that there's somebody that is still true. There's someone that is still faithful. There's someone that still loves the Lord and His Word. All clap your hands and let's give praise to the Lord right now. And so the Lord said, I cannot just destroy this righteous man and his family without providing some way of salvation. You know, the Lord had promised that he would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And so he said, I'm going to devise a plan so that this man and his family and everyone, by extension, that he can convince and persuade to get on the ark, they can be saved. And so he tells him a very specific plan. And I just want to say this, that that the plan of God has never been broad. It's never been undescript. It's never been just wide open. It's never been something that was difficult to interpret. But it's always been very specific. God's plan to save man throughout the Word of God, and every bit of this is type and shadow of what is to come and what you and I are a part of in the New Covenant now. And so the Lord has always had a very specific plan. So all of those folks that tell you that there's many ways to God, that's not scriptural. 
That's not the word of God. They're in error. That's false doctrine. As far as we can see in the word of the Lord, there's only one way. Amen. I said there's only one way. Bible talks about one baptism. One God and Father of all who's above all in you all. Amen. So it's always come down to a very specific plan in the word of God. And it's easy to understand. He said, no, I give you a command. Go forth and build an ark. And I'll tell you the material to build it out of. And I'll tell you the dimensions to build it to. And I'll tell you that uh, when you build this, where the door needs to be and where there needs to be a window and how many floors there's to be on this ark. I'm giving you very specific and detailed descriptive plans to build by and uh, there was only again I stress one door on that ark there was not multiple entrances not multiple ways for you to get on board the ark there was only one way so I'm not ashamed to stand up and preach tonight that there's only one church that God's coming back for I'm not talking about a church location. I'm not talking about a church building. I'm not talking about any particular group. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Those that are baptized into the church of the living God. Those that have repented of their sins, been baptized in His name, and feel with His Spirit. There's one way of entry. I said there's one way. There's one door. One way to be saved. And so he tells him this, again, very detailed plan. And of course, from the time that God began to deal with Noah, and we don't know exactly when the construction of the ark took place or began, but somewhere in this window of time, 120 years from the time that God began to deal with Noah, until the time that the flood or the judgment that came to the earth at that particular period took place. And so 120 years this man lived as an example. And I don't believe that he just built the ark and concerned himself only with his family. But I feel as though he tried to convince everyone possible and persuade them to get on board the ark because judgment was coming. And they mocked, they ridiculed, they made fun of him. They did not understand and they thought he was awfully peculiar. But can I tell you, that's always been the plight of God's people. For all of those that want to get off scot-free and feel like you're going to have to bear no reproach, that's not biblical either. Because the Bible says you've got to come out of the camp and bear the reproach of the Lord. Hallelujah. We don't like that kind of preaching. We want to fit in with the world. We want, to, we want to try to be churchy on Sunday and live like the world the rest of the week. But that's not the kind of salvation. That's not the kind of Bible that I preach from. That's not the message that God has given to us. Amen. 
we got to be willing to take up his cross and follow him. we got to be willing to be marked by him. we got to be willing to take the mark of redemption upon our lives. we got to be willing to live according to his word. we got to be willing to walk righteously before him. we got to be willing not just to accept and be obedient to him and his word on Sunday, but we got to be a 24-7 child of God that lives for God full time. Come on, is that all right tonight? Is that still in your Bible? That it's going to take someone that knows how to live for God and be faithful to God and committed to God all the time. Hallelujah. And so, this man lived for the Lord during that period of time. And of course, when the day came, the animals, by the Lord's bidding, by the Lord putting that innate draw or desire within them to enter into the ark. They all came two by two into the ark, every species, and came and found their place. And Noah and his family, eight of them in total, came and found their place in the ark. And the Bible says that God shut the door. And then the rain began to descend and the fountains of the deep were unleashed and the flood began to cover the surface of the earth. And this, I would say, would be one of the most or the most memorable victory and the apex of Noah's life. If you think of Noah, this is automatically what your mind turns to. This is the high point. This is the thing that we think of that he was able to achieve for God is that he was faithful and built the ark and he lived righteously and he was saved along with his family. But you know the Bible tells us that he lived 350 years. Can you imagine that? After the flood. Now we read about this very notable miracle that took place during this 120 year span But he lived more than twice as long as that 120 year span after that. And really, there is evidence that God wanted to bless him and use him and anoint him to do great things on in the future. Because he said, be fruitful and multiply. There's evidence that God wanted to use him Uh, to do great things during that 350-year span. I don't think that's a stretch at all in the Scripture. But you know, we don't read of one really notable thing spiritually that Noah did after the flood besides that he sacrificed immediately after the flood and gave sacrifice to the Lord and the Lord gave him that token in the sky, the rainbow, that he would never again judge the earth in the same manner. But after that, 350 years, folks, and nothing really memorable. No great thing that we can point to. That's a long time to live and to always just be pointing back to something, saying that that was my high watermark. That was when I really did something for God. That was when I was really used. That was when I was really anointed. That was when I was really blessed. Matter of fact, 
the one thing that we remember him for after the flood is not something that is very positive at all. Matter of fact, it's very negative. The Bible tells us that he become inebriated on the vineyard that he planted. And there were some bad things that happened that lived with him for the rest of his life. So, what's the point of what I'm trying to say? I am telling this church and everyone, myself included, that we need to make certain that we don't settle in our relationship with God with something that God did for us years before. A blessing, a way that we was used of God, an anointing that we used to know. How God used to use us in prayer. How God used to use us in the gifts of the Spirit. How God used to use us to inspire others or win souls or whatever the case may be. If we've got to point back several years to that, I think it's time that we realize and shake ourselves and come to the realization that I need to be something more for God. Amen. I don't want to have to point back at some time in my past where He used me, but God used me in the present. God bless me now. I want to be anointed now. I want you, God, to work in my life now. I want you, God, to bless me and my family now. I want you, Jesus, uh, through me to reach a soul now. I want you to pray through me now. I want to be an intercessor now. I want to see revival now. I want to see a move of God now. I don't want to point back to revival of outpouring. Amen. 25, 30, 40 years ago but help me God to see it come to fruition now because you're still a God of revival you're still a God that is able to pour your spirit out you're still a God that is able to work and to anoint and to bless your people so is there anybody hungry here tonight God don't let me point back amen but help me to look forward to what you're going to do through my life hallelujah Praise God, praise God, praise God. On the other hand, I read about a man by the name of David. And if we was to consider the most memorable moment in his life, if I was to take a survey across this sanctuary and say, what's the most memorable moment? What's the biggest feat in your mind? Most of you would think of him as a giant killer. Most of us would point to Goliath. And we would say, that man, that's, that's the apex. That's when he was really used of God. That's when God really used him to do a great thing for not only, not only he but, and his family, but for the people of God. But did you realize that that was not the only giant that David ever killed? That was not the only giant that David ever slew. That was the first giant. Amen. But he said, that's not going to be the last. Matter of fact, I read about some giants that were bigger and they were more formidable. And some of them had some weird body defects. Some of them had more appendages than what 
and, and he confronted them or he was willing to confront them even his old age. And, and thankfully there were some people that got a hold of the same attitude and courageous spirit that David did and said, I'm going to join him in this giant killing business. And they took up the fight with him, but not until he had killed four other giants himself besides the giant of Gath, Goliath. I'm saying to you that David made up his mind. I'm going to continue to be used. This is just the start. This is just the beginning. This is just, uh, we're just commencing into what God wants to do through my life. I'm just getting started, devil. If you think it's over with me, you got another thought coming. If you think I'm going to be satisfied at this stage, you got another thought coming. If you think I'm going to be satisfied at this level, you got another thought coming. But I'm going to continue to grow into greater victories. I'm going to see bigger things in God than I've ever seen before. I'm not going to I'm not going to live on past uh, uh, victories and I'm not going to be wallowed up by past defeats, but I'm going to rise up and I'm going to let God use me at a greater level than I've ever seen him use me before. Matter of fact, it was he once he was anointed king that began to transition the capital city of Israel to Jerusalem from Hebron. And there he brought the ark, or to that place, he brought the ark of the covenant, which was typical of the presence of God. This was something that Saul, it never even, it never even passed through his mind to do something like this. Matter of fact, the Bible says that during the reign of Saul, he never inquired of the ark of the Lord. You talk about an indictment to never even inquire the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine it was just setting, collecting dust somewhere, this very powerful symbol of God's presence in Israel was just it was never it was never thought of it was never taken into battle it was never considered to be that special of a thing and David said that's a travesty we've got to get the ark of the Lord with us and he brought it to the city of Jerusalem the Bible says that's where he danced before the Lord with all of his might but not only that we read where this man, David, continued in his progress in doing things for God. He was never, never unwilling to go out on the battlefield when it was time to fight against the Philistines, the perennial enemy of Israel. The scripture says that time over again he would go out on the battlefield until he subdued the Philistines. They were no longer a big threat to them. He subdued the Philistines and was able to have some peace in the land and his desire was to build a temple under the Lord he said I've looked and others they have temples to their God but you don't have a house that you you dwell in a tent God I want to build you a beautiful house and and the Lord denied him that privilege so David said I'll do the next best thing I'll get all the materials and the plans together I'll make it easy for the next generation Oh, I could preach about that right there. I'm going to tell you, we have more than just a responsibility to pass the baton on to the next generation. We need to make it better. Amen. What they assume, what they take, what they go forward with, it needs to be better than the way we found it. Amen. Each generation needs to gain more momentum. Each generation needs to go to a higher level of consecration. Each generation needs to see greater revival until Jesus comes. If God leaves his church in this earth very much longer 
and we're able to hand this on to the next generation. I want it to be a praying church. I want it to be a worshiping church. I want it to be a godly church. I want it to be a holiness church. I want it to be a separated church, a peculiar church, a church with miracles, a church with signs and wonders, a church where you could be healed, a church where you could be delivered and set free, a church, amen, where you could come and be encouraged, blessed, and strengthened by the hand of the Lord. Come on, if you agree with that, you ought to clap your hands and give praise. David said, I, I'm, I'm going to leave a legacy behind. And he talked about it. He, he was one in the book of Psalms that's always talking about the next generation. He said, I'm going to leave them something that's worth having. And yes, there was setbacks and we could focus on them and even tragedies in the life of David. But they did not shape David's legacy. In fact, it's difficult to choose just one thing or one event in David's life. It's like victory, one victory after the next. He, he did not just kill a giant and stop, but he continued. And so I want to ask you tonight, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Just going to be a pew dweller, a spectator, and say, oh, the best has already been had and experienced and there's not anything more for me to learn in God's Word. There's not any greater victories for me to win. There's no greater territory for me to take. No greater revival, no greater ways that God wants to use me. Or, and I encourage you tonight, I'm not going to allow this to be the end of my story. But God, I want to go out, amen, in victory. I want to leave a legacy behind I want to do more for God than I've ever done before. I don't want to relax. I don't want to become casual. I don't want to ever look for an easier route. So in our text tonight, the Bible tells us that Sarah died. She passed away. And we know that so much of the, when we think about Abraham, we think about his life being intertwined with Isaac. We think about his life being one of faith, believing for the promise that God was going to give him a son. And through that son, there was going to be a people. And that's exactly what happened. And so when that part of his life passes away, meaning Sarah, who was the second half of this miracle, we kind of think, well, it's, you know, the best days for Abraham are behind him. And I suppose that he could have felt that way also. And one could say, you know, Sarah's passed away and that's a sore disappointment for this man that has loved her and been faithful to her and served God and lived for God through the difficult times and the difficult tests of not knowing whether or not this promise was going to be fulfilled. But nevertheless, he didn't just say, this is it, and it's over with, and it's finished, and this is the end, and the best is, is behind us. But Genesis 25 opens up with two words that I love. It says, that then again. 
then again. How many times we felt like we were in a similar place where our dreams have died. Maybe the thing that we desired, we felt like it had died. We felt like we were finished. We felt like it was through. We felt like it was done. There's nothing that was going to resurrect hope. Then again, then again, one more prayer meeting. One more worship service. One more opportunity to come and hear the word of the Lord speak to us. And, and that old feeling of faith is resurrected in our heart. And we suddenly realize, hey, it's not over yet. Amen. There's more that God wants to do. That phase of my life may be over, but there's another phase that God wants to open up. There's greater things that God wants. Then again, I got on second thought. I, I, I believe that there's more that God wants to do through me. I, I believe there's greater things that God wants to achieve through anointing my life and blessing my life. And I can be used of God. I'm going to do something with the remaining time that I have, the remaining years that I have. And the Bible says that he married a wife Named Ketorah. Ketorah meaning incense. Perhaps there's been, as there was in Abraham's life, bitter disappointments. And there's been situations that you could say, well, that just, that, that just stinks, man. That's, that's no good. I don't like it like this. I wish it had turned out better. The Bible says that he embraced and married this lady whose name means incense. I just want to preach to somebody tonight that a sweeter day is coming. Greater things is coming. God has a greater opportunity. and God has a new phase for your life. Sometimes we think it's over with this. When, when Sarah took her last breath, he could have said, well, that's it. There's no reason for me to live anymore. There's no more for me to do for God. It's finished. It's over with. That's the end of the story. But I just come to tell somebody tonight, amen, maybe God is beginning something new in you. Maybe God wants to give you greater things in your life. If you can believe again for his promises, if you can can embrace once more that he has greater things for me if I could just trust him. Amen. He has got a sweeter day ahead for me in the future. Oh, let's lift up our hands and give praise to the Lord. Got to keep having faith. Got to keep believing God. Got to keep trusting him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And it was a mixed bag. You know, we read about these children that he had. He had, it looks like, six more children. And, it, and they were a mixed bag. I mean, anytime you have children, you know that. And Midian, we can look there. And we know that that's not good because we know what the Midianites became. And we think, oh, because that name means contention. And we think about Ishbak or Ishbak, which means exhausted or empty. Well, maybe it was the end. 
And uh, then we see Joksham, which means offense. I'm going to tell you, there is going to be times when you're going to be tired in the fight, weary and exhausted in the fight. There's going to be times when you're going to have times when you're in the contention of things. And there's going to be times when offenses, the Bible says, will come. But that's not all. I can't tell you that it's all going to be a walk in the park, but I can tell you that if you keep living for God and keep serving the Lord, there's sweeter days coming. There's greater things that are coming. The Bible said he also had a son named Medan, which means fight. He didn't lose his fight. I'm going to tell you, God can put new fight and new hope and a willingness to keep on going on in your life. That can be burned on the inside of you, a desire and a tenacity that I'm going to keep on fighting on. I'm going to keep on living for the Lord. But I like this one. The Bible says that Zerum, Zerum means singer of praise. I want to tell you, all through life, no matter the disappointments, the conditions, the offenses that came, he never lost his ability to praise and to give thanksgiving and sing and rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Devil, if you thought you had me down, then again. Amen. There's greater days. There's greater things. There's greater blessings. There's greater revival. There's greater promises. There's greater things that God wants to do in my life. Would you stand with me? Come on, all across this building, why don't you stand with me right now? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You simply have to make up your mind then again. Then again, this is not over. When you're faced with something don't seem just right, you say, well, man, this this just really stinks. Then again, God has incense and a sweeter day that he wants to bring into my life. It's not over with. It's not over with. I believe there's things that God wants to do. There's things that God has plans for us in greater promises that he wants to fulfill. If you believe that, why don't you join me right now by lifting your hands to him and saying, God, it's my desire to realize those things. It's my desire to be used.